This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. The race is on, and it really is on, as despite the cancellation of the Australian Grand Prix, Max Verstappen took on rivals from real-world motorsport and the cream of sim racing in the race all-star eSport battle. It was described as the greatest sim racing field ever seen, and across the three qualifying races and grand final, it certainly lived up to that with some gripping racing. I'm Ed Straw, and discussing this seminal eSports event with me is Scott Mitchell, and we'll also have Mark Hughes joining us later on to talk real-world F1. Well, Scott, we've just finished watching the event. Excellent commentary from Jack Nicholson and Julian Palmer, just like a, a Grand Prix through their BBC radio commentary. And uh, yeah, it was really gripping, even though we've watched it between midnight and, and 2am here in Melbourne, where we still are. It's, uh, yeah, it's been ab- absolutely thrilling, hasn't it? Yeah, I'm feeling it now because we're in the early hours of, of the morning, but I didn't come all the way to Australia not to see a race. So I'm glad that the race, our the race, was able to, to pull this off in, in association with R Factor 2 and got just such an amazing cast of drivers. There's no way I wasn't going to stay up and watch it and I was I wasn't really sure sort of what to expect exactly from the crop of uh, sim racing talent I, I know that the, the the very best of online racers uh, they are they are esports athletes for, for want of a better way of putting it I know that they operate at a really high level but you didn't I, I just didn't know really what to expect from them in this format I didn't know how the sort of the because there are so many different factions of, of, of sim racing. Just the, the prospect of it all coming together was fascinating. And I, I, I do have a lot of, uh, I have a lot of time for sim racing and I, I do respect the, the, the level that it can be conducted at. But when it's something like this, you don't know, it could be, you can have all those names and all that attention and it not come off. And obviously we have an affiliation with this. So there was a little bit of nerves to see exactly how, how it was executed. But I've got to say, I'm really, really impressed. I just thought it was, I thought it was so entertaining and and the fact that the pro drivers as we're going to get on to I'm sure in a minute in more detail didn't even uh, crack the top 6 in the grand final shows just how high a level this was conducted at. Yeah, well, it's a great event obviously thrown together in double quick time since the uh, cancellation of the Australian Grand Prix the race of course effectively the uh, the, the the sort of title partner uh, of the race so very fortunate to to be involved yeah the, the top 6 were all uh, were all Sim races, so Jeanette uh, Simoncic won from Kevin Siggy and Rudy Van Buren. I'm sure you'll have heard probably at least one of those names. Rudy, 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 Rudy. Yep, he's uh, he's obviously uh, getting a, a foothold in, in real in real world racing as well. Uh, the top real racer, for want of a better world, although they're all <laughs> real racers, real world racers, was uh, IndyCar driver Felix Rosenquist in seventh place with Colton Herter, two-time IndyCar race winner, finished tenth in the in the grand final. Uh, Max Verstappen, obviously, is the big talking point for for us. Obviously, the, you'd probably say the second biggest name in, in Formula One at the moment behind Lewis Hamilton, so great to have him involved. He won his qualifying race from pole position, Slightly disappointing qualifying going into the into the final, and that left him in the midfield. And he, uh, we didn't quite see exactly what happened to him in terms of what caused it, but there was a general uh, there was a general coming together, and he ended up spinning at the first corner. 
Yeah, Max was um, Max was on imperious form in in his qualifying heat, winning from pole position and and winning a, a, a canter after Rosenfist had, had got the jump on him at the start, but he ran deep into turn one and spun. Uh, but in qualifying, yeah, in, for the main race, Max's lap was a lot better than it was in in the first race. But this, the caliber of driver he was up against was this was the grand final, so it was the the cream of the crop, and and Max didn't quite have enough. And even even so, not not quite having enough in 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 this context, still put him in the mix to have a, a, a good race. But unfortunately. Um, he was uh, he was very quickly down to twenty first. He ended up uh, facing the wrong way after getting wiped out at the first corner in a bit of a bit of a turn one uh, carnage. Uh, and then it was just topsy turvy. So he went from sort of inside the top ten to outside the top twenty, back up to fifteenth, back down to nineteenth, and then had a nice little charge up to eleventh right right at the very end. So I think Max uh, Max probably enjoyed himself. I wondered if. Uh, I wondered if he'd rage quit at one, if if not the first time he he dropped to the back, maybe the second time when he uh, when he suffered a second setback. But fair play to him, he cracked on, showed a bit of what he's about with his win in the in the first race, and then obviously the the overtakes in in the grand final. But uh, yeah, this was um, the I like I like to think that the fact that he wasn't able to just come back through and, and smash everybody, even though he is as you say second biggest name in F one and. His his team boss in F1, Christian Horner, has been saying for about eighteen months that he's the best driver in, in Formula One, even better than Lewis Hamilton. That just goes to show just how good the the drivers are and how specific and and quality of discipline sim racing is. It was interesting to watch how the the races evolved. The first race, the first qualifying race, had uh, it, was, it was full of real world racers. Over Stappen's in that, Rosen Christian uh Maxi Gunter, the uh, the BMW Formula E driver, Daniel Cadet, Antonio Felix da Costa, some very familiar names, and Simon Pagano, the uh, the Indy Five Hundred uh, winner, uh, Colton Hurtis and Montoya. So all quite familiar names and that was quite a Larry all over the place race but then as we proceeded through the second and third race is with more what you might call professional sim races they were kind of more orthodox races and actually although you weren't always seeing that much overtaking particularly at the front you could see they were very kind of tense race with drivers really at, at the kind of top of their games that that was when it kind of looked almost the most authentic some of the some of the dicing was really great but didn't didn't sort of to to my eye as someone who's familiar with uh real world racing some of the way some of the cars moved etc wasn't quite right but when you get that that kind of chasing just looking for any little mistake and chance to get close and can you kind of have a look at a pass that was when it was really authentic that that was the bit that, that really got me even though there wasn't much passing going on it was just that really kind of high level drivers really at the top of their game doing it well, that fight between Siggy and Van Buren for second place in the in in the final was superb. It uh, it it ran it ran the duration of the uh, of the event, and Simicic broke away towards the end of the race. But that battle for second just didn't relent. And Van Buren, you could see the car, uh, you see the body language of the car. You see how much he was hassling it. I know you say like you don't have quite the the nuances of the the sort of physics, do you? In in, in this sort of thing, but it is still really good, and you can see the car twitching underneath him and. Picking up on your point about the way the race has evolved and just the, the quality of it, I like to think that some, uh, the, the really cool thing about an event like this is I feel like you saw you saw what something like this, something that esports has to offer, which is it's not it, 
it's not to say it's an out and out replacement for for something like the the season opener for the for Formula One in 2020, but it's a it's a damn good supplement to it, and it shows it can step in and fill the void if, if required. Because in race one, you, you had the brilliant performance of Verstappen out front, and then I think it was uh, I think um, Rosenfist and and, and uh, Rosenfist had a bit of a scruffy race, but like Herta and Gunter had really solid drives and De Costa was a little bit Larry, Rosenfist was a little bit Larry and there was a few bits and bobs and clashes and it was just, it was star names and it was a bit hectic. So it was a bit like um, watching a sort of uh, glorified British touring car race in a way because it was just a little bit mental with some really good drivers in the mix. And then the second one was, okay, these are guys that you might see in like the F1 eSports series and stuff like that. And it's a it's slightly more refined, but it's still a bit messy. And then race three in your final, that was like, yeah, these are these are these are proper. If you like, as you were describing it, that sort of traditional hardcore racing where, okay, it's not quite as Larry, it's not quite as overtakes happening left, right and centre, but it comes down to those really fine margins. That's proper competition. And it's, I'm, I'm not trying to force this. That that's what puts the sport in esports because there is there is some proper craft there. It takes focus, it takes concentration, it takes speed and consistency. And I I really don't think you can talk it down. Yeah, I mean it, it's a very it, it's the only bit of racing we've got at the moment. So that the, the positive thing is that people have been drawn into to watching this. So having these real world names will have, I imagine, attracted plenty of eyeballs from people not familiar with uh, with eSport uh, racing. And obviously, although I've watched a few bits and pieces, some of the F1 stuff, I would say I'm largely uh, fairly ignorant of the world of, of eSport racing, but actually also quite interested in it. It's one of those things that it's actually quite difficult from the outside because there's all these different categories and championships. You know, if you look at the roster of some of the Formula One teams with their uh, their esport drivers, they're they're huge in terms of the the list of drivers they've got, but they've got specialists in various different uh sims. Obviously this was uh this was our factor that the they were the raced on this, but there's many other um games that are used as well. So this actually was also quite a nice little kind of taster shall we say and there'll be names from all sorts of different forms of uh forms of esport racing in there as well as real world so it was quite a nice uh it was quite a nice taster session shall we say and that, that's just what we need because we've got very little well, or no motorsport going on uh internationally uh, in the in the coming weeks and uh and probably months so hopefully this will give people something uh, of an idea of what, what they're going to be looking at for for their racing fix in the, in, the, in, the, in the weeks to come. I really hope that that if if people watch this race, and we know that people did, because at one point we had more than 50,000 people tuning in, that's, which is, that's crazy. You know, how many how many racing series outside Formula One can boast those those numbers, do you think? Like that, that is, that's a proper, that's a proper audience. So those that did tune in, I really think they must have found, they must have seen something there that's going to make them want to at least be open to checking it out in the future. And, and not a lot of racing series in real life life have that it's hard to make people to, to make people go back and the, the brilliant thing about esports is not only is it more accessible from a competition participation point of view but there there is an audience for it we've we've seen that here okay it's the only game in town now because of what's happened in melbourne but it's still legitimate and it's still a genuine option for for people and what what i think is particularly encouraging as well is you People can go check out the, the the race on YouTube or or at We Are the Race on social media. Have a look back through at the different things 
that, that that we've shared from from this event, the the different onboards, the results, the the, the names that were involved. It, it's on. It's really worth checking out. And I know I, there's a, there's a chance I might be preaching to the converted on on this podcast, but I know that there are still skeptics about about esports. So if 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 you have a doubt and you're listening to this, do go check it out because I really do think it was proper. And if you know someone who was maybe a bit skeptical, encourage them to to have a little watch because Max Max Verstappen, for example, he's he's involved in more of the so so much sim racing him and and the likes of Lando Norris um he took part Lando, Lando took part in the not the Oz GP event that Veloci Esports put on in uh, which ran a couple of hours after the race in an R Factor 2's event you know, th- these are people who are doing the sport of motor racing a, a proper service with something like this and it deserves all the support support it can get i think if you want a reflection of kind of how serious and how good this is the fact that Someone like Max Verstappen, who today should have been fighting for victory in the Australian Grand Prix, probably would have been on the podium if we'd had a, if we'd had a Grand Prix uh, here in Melbourne. The fact that he takes his time to do this at home, this is how he gets his racing fits. You know, this is a guy who races a real Formula One car, is a world championship caliber driver. And the fact that he is, he, he not only is willing to do this, but regularly does this sort of thing, I think straight away you have to kind of take it seriously. Some people are not going to take to, to, to eSport racing, and that's fine. You don't have to. But I do think there's an element of sort of derision to it as if it's kind of not proper. But if Max Verstappen, a real proper driver, can actually get a lot out of competing in this kind of thing, I think that says we have to take it take it seriously. And this is the one thing, you know, the rest of us are never going to race a Red Bull Formula 1 car, are we? But we can have exactly the same experience that Max Verstappen has, give or take, given the kit. Uh, I imagine the, the, the setup he'll have uh, access to is perhaps a little bit beyond, uh, beyond the average. But th- this is the equivalent of just getting a, his Red Bull Formula 1 car and having the same experience as him. And so that's, that's why it's quite nice, because as well as these high-level sim racers, we can also do it, do it at home. So we talk about the barriers to entry to motorsport, etc. But this is actually something where you know we can all have a go at it we can all have our own sort of amateur racing online against against friends or people at a similar level or whatever and uh, and that's what i quite like it it kind of brings everything together and uh, and makes it just a little bit more connected well you know you know you know how i feel about online racing stuff i've got a it's not a particularly fancy setup back home but i've got a i've got a steering wheel seat and pedal pedal setup i like to like to play on 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 Forza and, and, and the official F1 game because I've, I've got I've got an Xbox rather than the PlayStation, so I haven't dabbled in Gran Turismo. I don't have a a proper gaming computer, so I've not done iRacing or R Factor or anything like that. But even on even when playing games like that and actually getting involved in the more serious competitions on in 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 those 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 forms of sim racing, I find that amazing. And I know that when 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 we've when we've had races, you've been a little bit sort of maybe found it a bit difficult to. I think you've ha- you found it fun, but maybe difficult to engage properly. But when we were watching that, you were getting properly excited and saying, "This is making me want to want to want to invest it in a proper setup." So, what do you reckon? Do you think you're going to be hopping on hopping online tomorrow morning and having a look and seeing what's available? Yeah, I'd like to have a, a little bit of a go. Kind of go. I haven't um, done much of it that regularly. I did on Forza Motorsport some years ago. Um, with, with some fellow racing journalists who used to play it a fair bit, and I quite like the fact that that did kind of feel like real racing. I mean, I've done I've done quite a bit of uh, kind of club level amateur racing myself, and actually the the kind of online racing 
there are times when you do get into that sort of same zone you are in when you're actually racing a car, which which I like. But um, yeah, I and mean, then it's it kind of whets the appetite. You sort of think, you know, I'm not going to be racing at this level, obviously, but because these are professionals who put huge amounts of effort. You know, these are not just people who are just dropping in. They they will be huge focus on doing this these are professionals uh doing it but yeah it, it gets me wanting to to do it and i think it's important at the point where that enthusiasm for motorsport there's nothing to satiate it because of the situation in the in the wider world so i think it's nice that there's something that people can watch and and get in involved with and it's something that it can inspire people to get even more involved because you don't have to just watch it it's the same as if you watch formula one in real life as a kid when you're watching that, that inspires you. Like you want to go karting. You you want to be there one day. But you know, as a, even as a kid or a, a teenager or whatever age, it might make you want to go and get involved in racing. But you know, you're not just going to go out and and suddenly drive an F1 car. But you're going to go and maybe do some arrive and drive karting, or maybe you can do some club racing or, or something like that, or go into junior single seaters, whatever level you're at. And it's the same with with esports. If you if if someone has watched that today and gone, oh my what that oh my word, that's really really cool. I'd love to be able to do that. They're not going to suddenly go out and spend thousands of pounds on a on a on a computer system and 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 steering wheel setup and and all and, and a proper rig and 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 stuff like that. But you may maybe you'll go actually. Do you know what? I know I can actually get a relatively affordable steering wheel and pedal setup and uh, this for my games console and it's going to cost me maybe 200 quid and I'd, I'd like to get involved in it more and i do like one or two sim races a month that, that is a legitimate way to get into motorsport it's much more cost effective than the alternative i don't see why that's a problem motorsport is so expensive anything that reduces the barrier of entry is is a victory in my book and that's why i think something we we could look back on something like today as a as a water shared moment for for esports because it got put in front of a big audience one there was one point during this evening where this event was the was the most popular stream online at the moment bigger than much much bigger genre of 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 esport events which which says a lot about how many people were, were, were watching it so i hope it gets taken seriously i hope it has had an impact and i hope that we can look back on it in however whenever it is a few months or a few years and just say when real world motorsport fell over for whatever reason esports were there and were considered a viable alternative and a lot of people found motorsport because of it yeah i think it'll certainly when we look back we'll be able to get a feel of the impact on it it'll probably have drawn some more people into it and you know there's going to be further race events we're involved with as the race uh, in the in the coming weeks and months as well, and straight away I'm thinking I'm quite actually quite interested in this, and I don't have to, you know, that's that's not just because I'm I'm, I'm working for the race doesn't mean that I have, I'm, it's mandatory to be involved in this. I didn't have to be up at still at two thirty in the morning watching it and talking about it. That was just something I I wanted to do because I thought great, there's some uh, there's some racing going on, going on here, and yeah, I'm interested to see whether it's just a little flash in the pan whether various people look at it and say oh, that was quite nice and then never revisit it or whether some get drawn in i think it'll be the be the latter because it's been able to hold people's attention clearly and i think straight away i'd like to think there'll be a few people who've watched that who'll start regularly visiting our, our esports coverage that we're doing on, on the race.com uh, website where as you long can, as they don't forget the hyphen uh, exactly do not forget the hyphen as, as well i don't always say because i didn't say it just there but i should have done thank you scott uh but you know, there's loads of this this going on, and again, it's still something I'm sort of um, 
sort of getting to know, but it's actually one of my favourite bits on the website because every time I look at it, it's kind of a, a world I'm not that engaged with. But you sort of re- get a, every time I visit, I visit that subsection, there's some new things I'm learning about what's going on and just starting to get a bit of recognition uh, of the names i'm a i'm a a kind of rank amateur in terms of esport racing knowledge but i find myself kind of wanting to know and understand more about it and it's still obviously uh relatively early days and and growing but it's you know it's the thing and i think those who may be attending to perhaps sort of shrug it off and dismiss it probably i'd i'd like to people just to have a look at it and you may not like it you don't have to because it's not exactly the same it's very it's similar but for some people it they won't click with it that's and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that but don't automatically kind of deride it and write it off you know have have a go and, and see what you think yeah, and I, I I do honestly think that the the caliber of uh, of sim racer that was it that was in this uh, in this all star battle, they they that is the sort of caliber of driver that one day there will be a driver who comes through esports and that's how they get into proper racing, and there will be an F one driver who comes from esports rather than just an F one driver who does esports because as I said the barrier to, of entry to motorsport is high. And if there are cheaper ways of doing it, but one, but ways that still allow you to to perform at a high level, as the very top level of sim racing does, because what what people don't understand is that the 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 sophistication of the the systems involved here are extremely high, and they will only get better and better and better. And we know how ultra complicated modern F1 actually is now, and how much simulation plays a part in it. So it is not difficult at all to think that it is perfectly conceivable that esports becomes a legitimate platform into top-level motorsport in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, and, and already we've, in recent years, seen drivers coming into into real racing. Obviously, Nissan were heavily involved in this. Drivers like Jan Mardenbrough, there were many others uh, who, who came through. Lucas Ordonez was probably the, the earliest one. You know, proper drivers who had uh, who had serious careers. And we're seeing, you know, Rudy Van Buren, for example, who's the the, the world's fastest gamer. He's got uh, a kind of foothold in kind of the real world motorsport. He's working with Mahindra Racing, isn't he, in, in Formula E. So, and he was a McLaren sim driver as a result of winning WFG the first time. So. Exactly. So so we're seeing these these kind of crossovers happening now. And, and uh, yeah, with, with the, the vast cost there is, even doing karting at a serious level, is eye-watering sums of money, you know, huge sums of money required. And uh, it's it's really fascinating because the technology is only going to get better and the correlation, as it were, between how sim, sim works and, and the real world is only going to improve. You know, it's not identical. I mean, for example, the thing I always find, I do find difficult in the gaming I've done is always operating the brake, feeling the brakes properly because it's slightly, there's a few things you you feel and sense differently to how you do in the real world but they get closer and closer and actually the better the setup you've got the more realistic and the greater correlation that there is to that as well so that's probably partly because I'm using very very highly amateurish uh, 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 kits shall we say but uh, yeah the, the it, there are similarities and it's clear you're talking about transferable skills as well all these drivers who are, are making that leap won't have succeeded and going back to the point you made about uh, Verstappen and the fact that he invests his time in this, you know, he has a he he has a lot of options about what he can do with with his life, with with everything that he's he's achieved in the position he's, he's put himself in, and he chooses to do this because this Max doesn't suffer fools, does he? He's not going to hang. He's not going to mess around on something just to. 
to it's not just about fun he wants to challenge himself and 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 that is the 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 level of that is the level of competition that that this form of racing provides and it will provide that for a lot more people again because it is much more accessible and i'm glad that there's been an event like this at a time when people's attention isn't distracted by real world events and traditional forms of motorsport that would otherwise hog the limelight because it's been able to be showcased to more people yeah exactly and uh yeah i'd urge everybody to to have a look at it it's on the uh the race youtube channel you'll be able to to look back at it and like i say there'll be there'll be further events uh coming up so you know if you're a skeptic have a look at it see what you think you know you don't have to like it but at least uh, at least be open so i've really enjoyed uh, watching these races and they, these were very much just kind of taster races really they were short sprint races the final was 12 laps the the uh, the qualifying session was five minutes and the the heat races were uh, were only eight laps around the nurburgring uh grand prix circuit so it's um you know there's there's forms of this to suit everyone obviously there was a sebring 12 hours going on there uh very recently wasn't there so there's all these sorts of race different types of race if you like endurance racing sprint racing open wheel racing gt racing absolutely everything it's uh, uh I, I can't even pretend that i vaguely know how to navigate my way around this world although i have been recently just starting to get a bit of a feel for it it's a little bit like when you first kind of get into motorsport and you, maybe you you see formula one on the television and then you start to learn about all these other categories which you might do when you're when you're kind of first getting into it maybe when you're much younger or whatever and suddenly there's this whole world opening up in front of you so yeah do do have a look at that we've certainly enjoyed watching that here in melbourne and thank uh, myself and scott are very very happy that we had uh, actually some racing to watch well that's it for the first part of the podcast we'll be back after this for a little bit of real world formula one chat with mark hughes joining us well, welcome back. For the second half of our podcast, we're joined by Mark Hughes as well as uh, Scott Mitchell to talk about all things Formula One. The dust now, Mark, has settled on the Australian Grand Prix cancellation. We now know, which we didn't in the previous podcast for sure, that Bahrain and Vietnam have been cancelled, although we knew they were going to be anyway, but that's official. The suggestion is that Spain, or the implication rather, is that Spain and uh, Zanvor won't happen because mm. they're talking about late May start or maybe Baku yeah. start. It's really, really difficult because the temptation is to try and rearrange a calendar and we've sort of been trying to work out how it could be done. Mm. But the situation's so fluid, isn't it? All bets are off in terms of when we're going to get racing again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Formula One loves to control its environment and it's 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 brilliant at doing so and manipulating its environment. But um, here we've got something which it just can't control. It's powerless to control. It's um, it's a, a, a virus that's, that, that's determining the narrative of the story so um yeah we say let's let's look at june as a possible start of the season yeah great let's let's hope uh, that's possible that's feasible to do but um if you look at uh, the the uh, extrapolation of where the virus is going to be it I, i've read several articles that say it's going to be at its peak in june so that may not be a feasible start either so yeah it's a moving it's a moving target the whole time just uh, like the Australian Grand Prix was in the the whole situation is F1 really doesn't mix well when it's uh, the bubble that it usually exists in um has to engage with reality it's mm. pretty uh, it's pretty safe and it's pretty resilient when it, it can it can survive most things but as we've seen with uh, with what's happened with with coronavirus and the, and the pandemic uh, a few weeks ago a few people that would scoff if you'd said you know this has the potential to change the face of world sport people a lot of people just thought, oh, well, that's you know a bit of a, a bit of a stretch. Can see why events in China need to be 
cancelled, but we can contain it. People don't either don't take it seriously or underestimate the potential of it. And now we've seen that this virus is uh, it's um, it's just relentless because that, that that's how something like this works. And we're paying the price for it now because I think the consequences now are even greater than 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 what people expected. You're looking at a potential shutdown of months and months, and who and who knows when it actually ends. What's the amazing thing? Global sport is basically shut down. Even national sports are stopping happening. I mean, even the one motorsport event that did get going, uh, Rally Mexico, that's been curtailed yeah. uh, over the weekend as well. So, you know, all these things are being uh, are being affected. And what Formula One does have to do is obviously be very respectful of this because the, the the bar shouldn't be what's the earliest point we can start racing. It needs to be what's the earliest responsible point. Yeah. The World Health Organization over the weekend stated that Europe's now the the, the centre yeah. of the pandemic. So we have to remember that anywhere it's a European sport, Formula One, heavily UK yeah. based, a big proportion of it. Yeah. And so wherever Formula One as a whole goes, if Europe's still in that situation, people aren't going to want it to go there. It'd been it's equivalent quite, of yeah. it'd been equivalent of I don't know six weeks ago something coming from China to, to yeah. elsewhere. It's moved around. So it's uh, it's you know Formula One's got to be responsible here, hasn't it? Yeah, and I think the perception coming to Melbourne um, was that if there was a risk, it was the risk of getting a lot of people together, um, you know, and thousands of people together in a public event. Um, the circumstances of how it played out in uh, the Melbourne weekend highlighted that actually it's it's the other way around. It's it's Formula One itself could bring the infection um, rather than it being responsible for the uh, bringing the people that would transfer the infection. Obviously, both mechanisms could can be at play, but the in terms of the perception of Formula One and 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 the uh, wisdom of uh, hosting a race, it's it's changed a lot. Well, we heard over the weekend Ross Braun in an interview with Sky Sports F1 with Martin Brundle talked about still being hopeful of maybe an 18-19 race season after the late start. He talked about the need to plough through the August break. He sort of, in a throwaway line, agreed that a double header races with two Grand Prix on the same weekend is not out of the question, although he did quickly move off that topic. So best case scenario now is we do start either at Monaco at the end of May or or Baku in, in June or maybe even if Monaco could go back a week and then you go Monaco, Baku, Canada as an opening triple header. But, you know, the, the smart money isn't necessarily on that happening at the moment, is it? That That's kind of, we've almost got this two-month window that will continue to move forward and, and could start to chew into that phase yeah. of the season as well. Yeah, I mean, as it's structured at the moment, we have um, a nice convenient a few weeks in the summer that we're effectively just bringing forward, but it's it's only in our heads. Um, that that uh, availability may not be there. That it's uh, that as you say, it's it's that it could move the whole thing. So as as things stand, if if you planned around starting in June, yeah, it you could realistically reconfigure the calendar to have most of the races there, and in the second half of the year, most of the existing dates would stay the same. And you could still do it that way. But um, if the the virus eats into June and beyond June, it starts to get extremely challenging. If we get if we work on the basis that it starts in in June, as Mark, Mark said, I think there are there are so many ways that you could could reconfigure it. But it isn't unrealistic to think you can have a a pretty healthy season and one that doesn't require you basically racing up until Christmas. And we've had a few um, few people get in touch on 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 Twitter and, and elsewhere on on social media on at We Are the Race. They've 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 asked us, you know, do we think a like a super season would be would would is an option to run a 2020, 2021 uh, kind of calendar. That obviously there are 
many sort of implications to that and reasons why it can't happen. One of them being we've got all singing, all dancing, new uh, regulations coming in in 2021 and they'll want that to be uh, quite a normal situation. We've we've had a bit of a crack, haven't we, um, trying to work out what we think the, the calendar might look like. Um, I'm sure... Uh, I'm sure Ross Braun probably isn't going to be commissioning us to to do his work for him. But uh, if he has a look at the uh, if he has a look at the race dot com, he might have an idea or two. As long as he doesn't forget the hyphen. Of course, you've always got to remember that in the in the URL. But it's um, it's true. I think the question about rolling over into twenty one, I'd be very surprised if they do that. It would seem to me that there comes a point where you get so far into the year that you. The worst case scenario is probably that twenty twenty is off. We'd hope that by twenty twenty one. The global situation is uh, is completely uh, completely under control. Although we we can't take that as a as, as a given, but I guess the worst case scenario whereby we have a twenty twenty season would be you could have a condensed season. This is I think where a double header would come into play because there's no point in doing double headers if the season does start in June or whatever because you're not getting any extra money. It's not like you can hold the Chinese Grand Prix and get the fee if you hold it in Bahrain on a Saturday. That doesn't work like that. But the double header could be a mechanism if you think because there's this notional idea you need eight races for a championship. Ross Braun suggested he didn't think that was an issue, but I think setting aside what the what the rules would would indicate about it you do need probably a bit more than that to have a credible championship. You know, if if Lewis Hamilton were, say, to win this championship and this is the record-equaling seventh championship, you'd want it to be kind of 12, 14 races for it to feel credible. And you could fit that in into even if you're not starting until October, you could have a rapid-fire series of, mm. of races. And this is the, the situation that F1 faces, that there's so many different plans they've got to put, try and have in place and juggling all these balls, dealing with all the promoters, what races that could move... There's some races like Bahrain, I imagine, is relatively easy to reschedule. It's a, you know, it's a government-promoted race, so they will be accommodating and they can be flexible when they fit it in. Australia, they've said it, it's not completely impossible they'll run it, but how on earth do you get this race running? Yeah. When are they going to be allowed to build up the park again into it? That seems highly unlikely. And then you've got all the other races in between in that scale. What other races might be willing to shift to accommodate it? Very, very complicated task for, uh, for the team at F1. Yeah, and you got events like Singapore, which, you know, the, the whole city has to operate around that event and it's sort of cast in stone. So, yeah, the, 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 there's very variable degrees of flexibility from venue to venue. But, uh, yeah, I don't think, I think it's unrealistic to expect that we're going to get every race back, even if we start in June. Yeah, there's not, not a chance of that. What about, Scott, the, the kind of human toll? Because we talk about, getting rid of the August break, you could plough through that potentially, which the teams would have to agree to, of course. Although in that same interview with Sky Sports F1, Ross Braun said, well, we expect the teams will agree to that if they want to minimise the economic hardship they're under. Because obviously more races means more revenue and the team's income is partly a share of, of that revenue. But, you know, if you're asking your employees to go through triple headers, a couple of triple headers, just plough through doing race after race, even if you do do two weekends, another two-day weekends, another thing that Ross Braun raised. Formula One's got to strike a balance here between what's realistic and what's asking a bit too much, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yeah, well, there are a couple of things. The first is that, obviously, we had a triple header a couple of years ago and the teams were absolutely adamant that couldn't happen again. But the the thing that's different is that that position was was taken in a normal in normal circumstances and the teams do need more races so i wonder if a triple header now is uh, is not so much acceptable but it's inevitable uh, and i think the teams would just have to you know they won't like it but they'll have to go along with it 
And on the, on the flip side of it, you've got um, you've got this argument about the summer break eliminating that. And there's a few people who seem to be taking the position of, well, you know, we get a bit of time off now, so that's okay. The, the two aren't directly, you can't um, transpose one onto the other because having time off now is not the same as a summer shutdown because there is work that needs to be done. You know, we've talked um, in, in, in a video that will be, be available on the Races YouTube channel about the, the winners and losers because some people have now got more time to fix problems. So there will be work underway. You can't just switch off. And the other element of that is just because you get a break now doesn't help when, if the season starts in June and we have 18 or 19 races between June and middle of December and you have a run of, um, what did we work it out? Was it like nine races in 12 nine weeks? Nine races in 12 weeks. But that's a possible scenario. I'm not saying that's what F1 has proposed, but just when we were looking at the, the permutations, like we, we sort of looked at that. Nine races in 12 weeks and no summer break. You're going to be absolutely flogging these the, the poor people. We we feel a toll when we go through a doubleheader or even a particularly long weekend, but we're far from the first people at the track and far from the last people to leave. I'm thinking in particular the hospitality people that work amongst teams and the mechanics who, you know, the guys who are deconstructing uh, the motorhomes late into the evening and, and that sort of thing. They, these, they, they work relentlessly, the guys and girls in, in Formula One, and there, there will be a painful human impact on this. And you have to balance it up. You know, if you're chewing into the August break, people have family commitments, et cetera, et cetera, that, you know, they, they will have to try and fit in. And, you know, again, it's the real world intruding on Formula One, isn't it? I, you know, people who work in Formula One, they will just knuckle down and get everything done. But at the same time, you have, there is a kind of duty of care, etc., to, towards the employees. And also, you don't want to, you know, flay your employees too much because then, then they'll start to struggle. They might move on. So that there's a balance to be struck. And another impact on, on the teams, which I'm probably better off if I throw this question to you two, which is why I've interrupted you a little bit there, Ed. Um, we talk about the minimum number of races hypothetically you need, not not necessarily for the championship to go ahead and, and be a championship, but just to have something credible. But from a team's point of view, we know that a lot of them, you know, the, the prize money that you get from Formula One, the, the, the slice of the pie that you get your hands on at the end of every season is, is a fundamental part of their, their, their business model. So... I'm not saying you you guys don't have access to the spreadsheets. You don't know the, the don't know the numbers, but realistically, how many races are you looking at before this becomes a massive, massive financial hurdle for the teams to overcome? A team like Williams, for example. I'm not saying this to to frighten anybody or anything like that, but just to put it into perspective, they're they're at the risk of losing a lot, aren't they? It depends on the races, and I think that is something we have to factor in when it comes to rescheduling. Yeah, if which your races pay how much? Exactly. If you're F1, you're looking at right. Well, Monaco doesn't pay anything nice prestige race but we can we can probably live without that for a year if we need to but if you've got there are other races that pay a lot more and there's everything in between so yeah. i'd be prioritizing the biggest race because just to put into context that uh, that question about the, the the prize pot the formula one teams share a certain percentage of formula one's revenue so the size of the overall f1 revenue pie is directly connected to what they get from their prize money which is based across the 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 column two and the column one payment so that's partly the past couple of years partly uh what they've done in uh, based on the, the latest championship and then of course there's a few other historic payments, payments and things, things like that, that kind yeah, of thing. yeah. but yeah so it's going to be you want to put on your big ticket races don't you yeah exactly and that's there's a there's a balancing point to be reached there so um logistically getting china back on would be challenging but then again china plays big big money um monaco would uh, you know I, I don't know how easy that would be but it's it's in it's in Europe, but it's it's not paying any money. So, yeah, that's the, there's obviously going to be lots of trade-offs to be made there. Um, you would hope that uh, we can get Zandvoort 
in somehow because it's you know an exciting new event massively popular it was three times oversubscribed or something like that um very very popular venue so you would hope that that's gonna somehow they'll find a a, a space for that but yeah it's all yeah it's all, it's all theoretical at the moment yeah, exactly. The, the coronavirus will uh, will do what it's going to do, won't it? And, and the world's going to have to uh, to react to it. But there are other in, in implications as well. We talk about Monaco; it's not a paying race. But what does it mean for F one sponsors, for for team sponsors? And there's all these things. You know, the sponsorship deals that teams have will have been based upon doing twenty two races. And you know, if you do one or something else, something. But what happens if it's a twelve race season? What clauses are there in contracts? What does it mean for drivers bringing bringing money? So there's all these knock on effects. It's going to have it's going to have a big effect on the finances of the teams. Whatever happens, that that is going to happen. And you mentioned Williams, Scott, and the reason you pick Williams is we know they are. Well, in fact, they keep making much of this. They're kind of a pure commercial team, aren't they? They don't have a, a shareholder or two who can just fling endless money at them if they need to. They they're dependent on their own commercial success so it's a really complicated three-dimensional picture and people be pushing and pulling at f1 to say well we want this we want this and every sponsor will have different races because you look even if you look at the, the the top line the global sponsor f1 they'll have different territories that are important for them some sponsors they couldn't care less about certain territories they're like oh i don't care about china we don't we, mm. that's not it's a big market but we're not there we don't we don't mind that's just a random bonus for us whereas for f1 it's important so yeah, hugely complicated three-dimensional challenge, isn't it, Scott? It is. Yeah, I, I, I do have a lot of sympathy for for Formula One and 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 all of the teams because it's a situation that that the the bigger picture you 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 can do very little about apart from obviously these are all individuals in their own right and like everybody there is a responsibility to respond to this in a, in a way that you know helps containment and, and fights against the spread of the disease but beyond that there is very little they can do we, we've we've talked a lot about in australia once the decision was made to go there there were things that f1 for example could do better but that's specific to the to, to those events now we're not going to be on site now we're not going to be wrestling with a decision to what well, should bahrain go ahead or not or vietnam you know that decision has been taken it is the right decision it, it just creates problems but these problems exist in a, in a much wider context that we don't have control over. And we were talking over, um, over the weekend in, over the weekend here that there, there are other things as well. You know, the teams have got offshoots. There are formula two and formula three teams and other race teams around the world that, that, that exist in on fine margins. And what are they going to do? Because an F1 team can just get down to business in the background and, and sort of see it, I suppose, as extended R&D time. But a team like Williams, do they have that option? What about a, an F2 team or, or something like that? So, yeah, so many layers to it. It's um, it's a painful situation. Everyone's got to try and knuckle down, basically, and deal with it as best they can. And sort of as Ross said, when it came to being willing to do a triple header or to make sacrifices for the better, better of the season, they are going to have to do that and they are going to have to actually respond to... Um, to, to to the needs of the moment and when we look at the the actual impact all this has had well it's amazing isn't it you know formula one's been threatened before but it's never quite all fallen apart isn't it the oil crisis in 74 mm. there was talk about that season not happening obviously it all then did go ahead you know 55 after the le monde disaster there was yeah. talk about all sorts of places banning motor racing and that, yeah. that jeopardized the calendar but muddled on f1's always kind of led a charmed life and muddled mm-hmm. through all these things without massive disruption you know you have to go back to the pre-world championship days i guess the second world war 
yeah, in, that's interrupted it. Grand Prix racing. Mm-hmm. Created a great controversy about who won the 39 European Championship, of course, as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, which indeed. Uh, we don't yeah. often talk about on this. No, we don't. Um, it was Muller, wasn't it? But yeah, um, yeah. So, well, it was Stuck. Was the other one, wasn't it? Was it uh, no, it was Lang. Lang oh, Lang, Muller. of course. Yeah, yeah. Because there, there was some. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was Muller. And I, and I think um, we only realized who the champion was in hindsight when we actually saw the regulations and how they so it was several years later that we learned who the 39 champion was um, <laughs> that's uh that's a cul-de-sac we didn't need to go down well, well we, we had absolutely had to go down that <laughs> we, we, we're gonna have enough time and enough content to feel that we could do an entire podcast on this well i'll, I'll dig the regulations well, here out we are. when was the first motor racing world championship you'll know this the first motor racing world well, championship. Well, the first world, the first the first world, world championship. championship. The first world championship of Grand Prix racing. Uh, 1925. Exactly, yeah. Which is often forgotten. And then we had the yeah. European Championship yeah. in the 30s, which was a, a big thing. The, 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 the first world championship was only for, um, for the teams. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Are you yeah. proposing year by year uh, reviews, like one episode, one podcast episode for every year of a, of a Grand Prix world championship? Well, we start with 25 and Alfa Romeo, okay. Yeah. Oh, we could tell the story of the unknown driver. One of your favorites, right? yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, another time. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll actually we will do that because that's a really yeah, really uh, fun story. Welcome uh, to this ep- special episode of the Race F One podcast, which is a planning meeting apparently for future podcasts. Oh, I tell you what, we're <laughs> going to keep talking through this period, and we've got a lot of cul-de-sacs we can head down. Don't you worry about that. Uh, now we were talking about something. What actually was it? What question did I, I ask don't you? know where you were going. Oh, disruption. Yeah, you know, yeah, this is disruption. finally the world has caught up with F One, hasn't it? Yeah. It's so. <laughs> existential you know the, the the last time motor racing's right to even exist uh was question was probably 94 uh with, with the, the imola tragedies um and it responded uh, as it had to uh to just to show the world that it was you know uh addressing the, the perceived um dangers so I, I with this it's it's because it's such a random random event that everyone hasn't done anything particularly wrong um so can you question its right to exist you can question its right to exist in in the current environment obviously but when that's uh resolved and hopefully it's it's sooner rather than later then you know i think f1 can look at itself and 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 say it it did okay there was a there was a quote from matthias bonotto in the build-up to melbourne where he said with everything that's going on at the moment, basically they they saw it as their duty to to try and put on a show and, and put mm-hmm. a smile on everybody's faces. Now, obviously, Ferrari's position changed when when there was a, a, a confirmed case of coronavirus in the paddock because that situation is so sensitive, and they immediately saw that as the most responsible thing to do was was to drop it. But the underlying point he made pre weekend is absolutely valid because while there are always motorsport will forever have to justify its existence in a world of where we're, we're, we're fighting against climate change and, and different people having different financial resources and restrictions if, if a company lays off thousands of employees globally can they justify a 175 million dollar f1 program plus whatever else they, they're spending so that will always happen but i i always find that like motorsport and f1 in particular exists to basically it exists for for many reasons but one of the brilliant consequences of it it acts as a beacon for what we are capable of you know as people and you know as humanity and from a sporting uh, point of view as well technologically and sporting it is you can achieve some great things and see some amazing spectacles so I do think there is a place because if you don't have that 
you know, then you lose sources of inspiration for different people, sources of joy for different people, employment for different people. So I don't think there, it would just be a, is as you said earlier, just a case of when is the when is it responsible for for, for this to to resume, and then hopefully it can do that on a, on an even keel. Yeah, it's a natural desire from everyone to have an answer to that, and there, there is no mm. correct answer to that at this stage. I do find it a little bit odd that we've got this bizarre situation whereby the Spanish and Dutch Grand Prix are sort of been indicated they're cancelled but they're not cancelled and they've both issued statements saying we're liaising with with f1 because the f1 statement said end of may potentially starting so it's that that's a little bit yeah little i guess bit i guess that's just based on the expected um the, the rate of expansion of yeah, the virus yeah, exactly. and and uh, whether, whether the restrictions on crowd gatherings are still in place well, by then which they're, they're due to be so that i guess that's just based on that and the restrictions are just changing by the by yeah. the day aren't they it's a yeah. very fast moving uh, fast moving situation but yeah with a bit of luck we hope that the situation gets under control reasonably well and uh, we can get a sort of decent season in. But that's obviously a secondary a secondary concern. But as I said, we will keep talking. We will keep writing. We will keep shooting videos for our, our YouTube channel at the race. We've uh, we've been chatting chatting actually about some ideas to do. And there's there's also there's always a load of things we wanted to do that there's never quite time to do with all the mm. races. So actually there will be some interesting things. We'd much rather be talking about racing, but you know, we we've got some esports to talk about as we were talking about earlier in this podcast. Um and obviously, we'll still follow the, the news goings on in Formula One, but we'll also have a few other interesting topics we can delve into with, with various guests. So um, while we're not looking forward to a few months, at least without racing, we are quite looking forward to bringing you some of the more unusual topics, including, of course, the unknown driver, which I'm definitely going to speak to you about, Mark, because that's, okay. that's a cracking and not not often told story. We'll do head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen. All sorts of material on there about contemporary F1, retro stuff, quizzes, videos, you know more podcasts we've launched a load of podcasts actually there's a formula e podcast there's a moto gp podcast there's a gary anderson f1 show podcast all launched just in time for no motorsport to happen so we've timed it perfectly but even so they'll all keep going on through the uh, this no racing period because uh, yeah the world keeps going and there's still lots uh, lots to get into and do check out our youtube channel as we'll be shooting various videos for there and look, there'll be some retro material as well because there's always some uh, great past stories to tell so uh, we're quite excited about this in a way you might you might say that even though the races are off the race is still on ed Exactly. Well, the race is on still, despite the fact the race is off. So yeah, stick with us and we'll hopefully keep you entertained over however long this hiatus is. (laughs) 